So today is the one pra, the uposata day. It's a day to practice and undertake the moral precepts, whether the eight precepts or the five precepts. These precepts are a way to assist our hearts, to help our hearts, to control them, um, to be restrained. To be restrained through the activities of body, speech, or mind. And this uh, sila, this virtue, this practice of morality takes care of our hearts. When uh, greed, aversion, or delusion arise, then we must uh, watch over our hearts and control our behavior to be firm in virtue, firm in sila. And this practice must be uh, stable and continuous because the sila, it's a foundation for our hearts, a foundation for our practice. And one um, sees the great importance of this sila and must have this sila and uh, place one's body, speech, and mind to be within the power of sila. So if one um, does not have mindfulness and then one has a thought and that thought goes into comes out as one's speech and then that speech turns into one's actions and if one does this without mindfulness then one can get um, severely bad results really damaging um, results can come out of this so whether in one's family or in society um, this type of uh, behavior will cause a lot of uh, chaos and um, will disturb things so the sila is a very important uh, thing to have in our lives and in our hearts and it's that inner quality that's, that's more important than outer outer things such as wealth is merely an outer thing and if one can have a lot of wealth but if one has no virtue then one's life will still be chaotic and disturbed and without the sila then things will fall apart and degrade in, a, in an unhelpful way. So this virtue is a cause for humans to live happily and for society to have peace and harmony. And this virtue controls our body, speech and mind. And then we practice to develop um, a peace of mind to increase. And this is important. And we should have a love for this virtue, have a great love for this sila within ourselves. And doing the five or the eight precepts, we um, see the great value of, of, these, of this practice of virtue for our lives. So we determine to make this practice of virtue, to make it firm and stable in our lives, and to be capable of controlling our behavior of body, speech, and mind. So when we have strength, we can do the eight precepts. And normally, we follow the five precepts. So under the eight precepts, one would not take food after 12. And this can assist our body in feeling light and having more time for mental development. And it can also insist, assist us in seeing the body as something that's not beautiful or attractive. And we can search for the truth of this body this body is merely the four elements of earth, air, water, and fire. And it's something that's not beautiful, not attractive. 
and seeing this, uh, and we should practice to see this clearly. And also as part of the eight precepts to not uh, sit or lie in a high and luxurious place, this will assist us in not seeking pleasure in sleep. So we have these five or eight precepts and we practice developing mindfulness. And the mind without mindfulness will just uh, constantly chase after moods and mental impressions all the time. And this uh, causes the mind to be busy, chaotic, and full of doubts and distractions and not peaceful. So we need a kamatana, a basis for development, a meditation object to have in our minds. And this can help place our minds within the power of the Dhamma. So for instance, we can do repetition of the mantra Bhutto, Bhutto. And the meaning of this is um, the awakened one, a buoyant, uh, radiant one. And we can recollect the qualities of the Buddha, such as that the Buddha was the great teacher of those to be taught and the Buddha was self-awakened. No one taught him. He was able to see and know for himself. And doing this, doing this practice of Buddha Nusati, there's no need to doubt it. There's no need to doubt anything. One can just continue on with this practice of Bhutto and Buddha Nusati. And continuing on, continuing on in this way, doing this practice, one can have their mind gather in a state of peace and become temporarily free of greed, aversion, and delusion. We can call this shamatha, tranquility. So we see the mind um, getting lost in busyness and distractedness and getting lost in likes and dislikes. And this uh, can come from the, the six senses impinging on the mind with the various objects of the six senses. And then whatever object in whatever sense door of the six senses, then there be liking or disliking for whatever that object is. And based on this liking and disliking, the mind will then proliferate and think about that uh, sense object. So we can call this awija, not knowing. And this awija will then lead to upadana, uh, clinging. And then based on this, uh, greed, aversion, and delusion, all the various uh, obstructions of the, of the mind arise because of this upadana, because of this clinging, um, based on the six sense objects. So when mindfulness is not there in time, then this is what happens. The mind will chase after these objects through ignorance and clinging and then all the different obstructions and kilesas arise. And without sufficient mindfulness or timely mindfulness, then one is not capable of separating the mind and the object of the mind. So in whatever of the four postures of sitting, standing, lying down or walking, one shouldn't cultivate mindfulness and practice the mantra Bhutto, then the mind can become still and peaceful and collected in samadhi and can even become still to the point that the mantra Bhutto falls away and the mind is simply silent. And then one can have pity or rapture arise 
uh, tears can flow down from the eyes. The body can feel very large, even as tall as the whole meditation hall. And the body and mind can feel very cool. And this uh, rapture, this pity, there are many, many types and ways that it can manifest in our experience. And we feel a great fullness of heart. And when we feel these uh, various things, then we really see the value of this practice of mindfulness and the value of having mindfulness with just one object. And practicing in this way, one becomes capable of controlling the mind and heart to be peaceful through mindfulness. And such as the meditation practice of recollecting the Buddha And when the mind uh, chases after an object, then one tries to, to uh, catch this behavior in time and to stop, stop oneself from creating any bad karma, any negative karma. And when the mind becomes collected and stable, then one uh, does not need to doubt at this point. One can contemplate the truth. And how, how does one contemplate the truth? One looks at this body and normally one sees this body as I, it's me, it's mine. But one can look at the six senses and look at the content of one's experience, of one's direct experience of um, the mind and mind objects, the body, tactile sensations, the tongue and taste, the ear and sounds, the nose and smells, the eye and sights and see where exactly is this I and mine? Where is it to be found? And one can look at the uh, different parts of the body, like in the hair of the head. Is the hair of the head me and mine? Is it I? Is, are the nails I? Are the nails mine? Is the skin me? Is the skin mine? And one can uh, separate these body parts in one's mind and look at them and just ask oneself, is this me? Is this mine? Is this I? Or even if a tooth falls out or one gets a tooth that's extracted, one can look at that tooth and say, where is the me? Where is the mine in this tooth? Where is the I-ness in this tooth? And the same for all the different um, body parts. And one can contemplate whatever yeah, any, any part of the body in this exact way. And one can even uh, contemplate through the lens of the four elements as well. So one can take out the liquid aspect of the body and again ask oneself, is this me? Is this mine? Or take out the um, solid aspects of the body and ask, is, is this where the I is? Is this where the me is? Or the heat of the body you separate that out and ask, is this where the I or the me is? And the same with the, the air in the body, asking, is this where the me, is this where the mine is? And you see, it's not me, it's not mine. One sees this when one contemplates in this way. So we see the truth that um, these things, they arise and they pass away. One does not see an I or a me or a mine in them. This is merely a convention that we call 
call ourselves a me or a mine or a you or a yours, or we call it a being, call it a self. This is merely a convention. However, people get lost in this convention and take it to be reality. So we practice recollecting the qualities of the Buddha, make the mind peaceful. We practice with our meditation object and we may practice and sit and walk and practice for a long time and we'll feel not peaceful at all. Just keep practicing. Whether you're peaceful or not peaceful, just keep going, keep practicing. It's okay, just keep going. And even when we're doing walking meditation, we can contemplate rupa, materiality, contemplate it within and without, contemplate it in one's body and outside of one's body as not me, not mine, not I. And while walking, we may uh, come across a tree with leaves and we can see sometimes the green leaves um, fall off the tree. Sometimes the leaves fall off when they're yellow. Sometimes the leaves fall off when they're brown. Sometimes the leaves fall off when they're um, not even fully developed yet, just a young green shoot. And sometimes when they're uh, fully matured in full bloom as a green leaf, they all fall at these various stages, whether there's a strong wind or a storm or when the air is still, these various colors and stages of development of the leaf, um, they all fall down. So we, see, we can bring this contemplation back and see that this human life, it's the exact same way. Some people die in the womb. Some people die as young children. Some people die as adolescents. Some people die as adults. Some people die in old age. So we contemplate this and contemplate in this way. And one can come to the understanding that nothing in this world is stable, nothing is certain. It all arises, it all passes away. None of it's a me, none of it's a mind. And all these um, conditions, all these sankharas, they're all not me, not mine. And we can look at the story of uh, Diganaka Brahman who is a, a relative, a cousin of the Venerable Sariputta, the monk foremost in wisdom, the right-hand disciple of the Buddha. So Venerable Sariputta's cousin, Diganaka Brahman, he was um, approaching Vulture's Peak and walking around Vulture's Peak, and he had been contemplating death uh, diligently, and he had uh, the idea in his mind that he wanted to look for a place to die. And this place had to be somewhere where no one else had ever died before. He conceived this to be a pure place, a place where no one else had ever died. So he was looking for such a place. And the Buddha um, came across Diganaka and asked him what he was doing. So Diganaka Brahman explained he was looking for a place where no one had died. And the Buddha said to him, you yourself have died in this exact spot many, many times over, not to speak of others who have also died. And Dikanaka had faith in the Buddha. He believed what the Buddha had said because he knew that his 
cousin Sariputta was a disciple of the Buddha. And hearing the Buddha tell him this and believing it in his heart, he felt such a great dispassion towards conditioned things, towards life and death. And through this dispassion, his mind gathered together in samadhi, and he was free of the five hindrances. He felt great rapture and bliss in his mind. So at this point, the Buddha asked Diganaka, uh, what view do you hold? Diganaka answered, whatever I like, that's what I want. Whatever I don't like, that's what I don't want. And he really felt like this was a great view, this was a good view to have, because he considered that whatever I like, that brings me happiness and pleasure, so I should want it. And whatever I don't like uh, is a cause for stress and displeasure and suffering, so I, I shouldn't want what I don't like. So he came to this conclusion that he only um, will want what he likes and does not and whatever he doesn't like he does not want that and the buddha said this is a what this view of yours is a bad view don't you should not like this view because this view will take you to suffering and diganaka brahman was uh, taken aback he he thought to himself but my view is good um, because whatever i don't like is stressful and whatever I like is good. So why, why would the Buddha say this? Um, however, the Buddha is the knower of the worlds, the great uh, teacher of those to be taught, the self-awakened one who is the highest of all beings, had no one to teach him. He's self-awakened and knew for himself the truth. So the Buddha um, taught Diganaka Brahman, he taught taught him the truth of Dhamma and Diganaka Brahman, he was able to realize um, the Dhamma and receive this Dhamma teaching and realize uh, stream entry. So the Buddha taught, well, old age, sickness and death, all beings must receive these things. Old age, sickness and death, do you like them or do you dislike them? And Diganaka Brahman said, these three things, I don't like them, I don't want them. And, and uh, Diganaka Brahman saw that, um, yeah, that this, these stressful uh, experiences of old age, sickness and death, he doesn't like them and they are dukkha. However, he must receive them as the Buddha was teaching him, the Buddha taught him, you, you must encounter these experiences. And through this teaching, Diganaka Brahman was able to accept the truth that he must uh, receive old age, sickness, and death. And he should not, he realized he shouldn't cling to either his likes or his dislikes, because if he clings to either, that'll be a cause for suffering. So he's able to accept old age, sickness, and death as natural and normal. Wisdom arose in his heart. The Noble Eightfold Path gathered together, and he realized the path and fruit of stream entry, the first uh, level of enlightenment. So just through this listening to Dhamma, while listening to Dhamma, he was free of the five hindrances. He 
was able to contemplate the Dhamma, his mind gathered together, and he saw clearly into the Dhamma. And he exclaimed that this, that the Buddha um, showed the way to one who was lost, lit a light in a dark place, turned upright what had been overturned. And this Diganaka Brahman realizing stream entry, it's something that was not difficult to do. However, the thing that was difficult was to make his mind peaceful and gathered together first. And as for Venerable Sariputta, who was uh, standing behind the Buddha, uh, fanning him, listening, listening in to this uh, discourse, he was able to realize arahantship, uh, complete freedom from the Achilleses, full enlightenment. And this was 15 days after Venerable Sariputta had realized, or 15 days after he had ordained. And this was on the... Uh, the full moon on the the vulture's peak that this happened. So one should accept the truth of conditioned phenomena and accept that old age, sickness, and death are inevitable. And this uh, is the arising of wisdom. Uh, bit by bit, bit by bit, this wisdom can arise and one can be able to let go. So one should build samadhi, build collectedness, make the mind bright and radiant, and make it have wisdom. But this is something that's not easy to do. So one just does it one, one step at a time, bit by bit, um, contemplating and building this wisdom and brightness and samadhi. So this practice of sila, samadhi, and panya uh, brings one to the realization of stream entry. And this is something that one is capable of doing, and it's something that relies on many different uh, causes and conditions. So one should practice to have mindfulness, practice seeing arising and passing away clearly, practice to make the mind peaceful. And this practice of uh, mindfulness or sati will increase the peacefulness and samadhi in the mind and this will assist us in letting go and one should be firm in one's virtue as a foundation because this uh, path of sila samadhi and panya this noble eightfold path you can't you can't just do parts of it it has to come all together you can't leave out one aspect of it and just do the other aspects. It has to come all together. And this, because this is the Noble Eightfold Path and also the, the five powers coming together of faith, effort, mindfulness, samadhi, and wisdom. And this has the power to destroy the kilesas and to completely cut off the three fetters of identity view, attachment to rites and rituals, and skeptical doubt. So this is something that all the lay people are capable of achieving. It's something that's not difficult. Uh, one is able to do this. So one uh, practices generosity, practices giving, and this helps to reduce one's self-centeredness and selfishness. And it also helps to support the Buddhist dispensation and is a way for oneself to build parami, to build spiritual virtue. Then one comes to listen to the Dhamma, 
to undertake the practice of virtue and to practice mental cultivation. Sometimes one is peaceful, sometimes one is not peaceful, but one keeps practicing and practices to let go of one, one's liking and disliking. And one practices to see clearly, uh, which is vipassana. And then one day it's possible to see deeply and to see clearly into the um, not-self nature of phenomena, to see that it's not me, not mine. Things arise, things pass. This is nature. This is how the body is. This is the nature of all experience. And one reflects, when, when I die, I can't take anything from this world with me. All the, all the outer things that beings uh, attach to, none of it can be taken uh, when one dies. This is true for all things in the world. They all arise and they all pass. And one can also reflect and know if one still has a ouija, still has not knowing, still has delusion in one's mind, then one must be reborn. So reflecting in this way, one should be determined and motivated to do goodness, to lay the causes and to make the mind wholesome and good, knowing that one must uh, take another birth. So uh, keep doing your mental cultivation, contemplate the Dhamma as I've uh, described here from the teachings of the Buddha and have strength in your practice of mindfulness and your practice of samadhi. And then when we practice in this way, we are able to cut off the uh, negative unwholesome karmas and cultivate good karma. And this is a noble wealth in the heart that the eight worldly winds uh, cannot take away from us. The winds of the world of uh, gain and loss, praise and blame, fame and disrepute, pleasure and pain, one should know these things, know them as they are, and contemplate that they're impermanent and they're just a condition of the world. So have mindfulness, have samadhi, have wisdom, and then one is able to escape from all suffering following the Buddhist teaching. So we can reflect uh, about the food that we eat. It's not it's not difficult to eat the food when it's already in front of us, but the effort that went into uh, plowing the field, sowing the seeds, growing the rice, growing the various uh, plants that we eat, um, that, that was difficult, that is a lot of work. And reflecting in this way, we see that it's not easy at all for a Buddha to arise in the world. It's something that's really not easy to come by and just to be able to recite the word Bhutto and recollect the Buddha, this is something that's incredibly difficult to encounter. It's something that's so rare and it's taken so much um, effort for this opportunity to arise. So keep practicing to have clear knowing into the Dhamma and to have the light of Dhamma arise in your heart. Contemplate along these lines. So may you all be well, may you all grow in Dhamma.